0: done before, so you need planning, a large crew. Guns? Exactly. There's a lot of security, but the take. What's the target? Eight figures each. What's the target? When was the last time you were Vegas? Welcome to the now-playing Ocean's Movie Retrospective Series. Why do this? Why not do it? When that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. Less conversation
1: and action yes. That's why we need to be very careful.
0: Very precise. You gotta be nuts too. And you're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. Who do you got in mind? Hosted by Arnie. I owe you from the thing with the guy in the place and I'll never forget him. Jacob. else well, is on the list. Here's the list. You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. And Stewart,
2: It'll be nice
0: working with proper villains again. But what am I saying? You guys are pros. The best. I'm sure you can make it out of the casino. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. You're either in or you're out. Right now. Listener discretion is advised. Are you sure you're ready to do this? If you ever ask me that question again, Daniel, you will not wake up the
1: following morning.
2: Today we're discussing Oceans 13, starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Bernie Mack, Elliot Gould, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jameson, Don Cheadle, Shabo Quinn, Carl Reiner, Andy Garcia, Eddie Izzard, Al Pacino, Ellen Barkin, David Pamer, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on and on. Directed by Steven Soderbergh. This is Arnie, the co-host of Now Playing, who's like the morcom and wise of the podcasting world. Stuart
3: in L.A.? This is Jacob, and Peligroso es mi nombre medio. What does that
1: mean? Danger is, is his name. middle name.
2: I've seen this movie three <laughs> times for this review. I can read you the subtitles from memory.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, it was in the movie. I, yes. I knew you were going with the Mexico plot, but uh, okay, great. So let's start a revolution, guys. Ocean's 13, you guys excited? I know I wouldn't have been if I had just seen Ocean's 12.
2: My only comparative to the Ocean's trilogy is the Hangover trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, so good. Number two, uh, Number three, no desire to see it. Still haven't seen The Hangover (laughs) 3. There's no hangover in it.
3: Spoiler, they go a totally different direction. I feel like we're going to stick with the main... Just here with 13. We're going to stick with the heist, hopefully.
2: Okay. Yeah. This one, I again waited for video, and my thoughts then are kind of the same as my thoughts now. I was surprised I didn't see it. I mean, it's weird. We go so many years on now playing, almost 500 reviews. We finally get to Al Pacino with Insomnia, (laughs) and now here he's back.
3: Yeah, this one I never saw. I had no desire to. I knew, oh, Pacino's coming into it. I remember the commercials, the trailers. But then as I watched this, I realized I had at least seen parts of it. I had watched some of it on television at some point. There's a guy with a face all eaten up by bedbugs, and I remember seeing that. So, yes, another one that
1: didn't stick in my memory, just like 12. I never saw the movie, but I definitely remember the hype. I was actually at the Cannes Film Festival in 2007 when all of these guys were walking the red carpet. I was working that. And it was a horrible job that I will not go into. But it was kind of funny because, you know, everyone was so excited. There's George, there's Brad, there's Matt and all that. And I'm just like, I hate my life. I want to go home. <laughs> so I never saw the movie. I didn't have the opportunity. And I don't think I would have taken it even if it had been presented. But um, it definitely seemed like people were enthusiastic to see a conclusion. I think what makes me feel better about this is that there's not going to be an Ocean's 14, 15, 16 endlessly. Soderbergh is going to finish what he started with the first
2: one and maybe correct what he got wrong with the last one. That was kind of my feeling going into this, but by this point, it felt like the careers had turned for these people. I mentioned when Ocean's 11 came out, I was really loving Brad Pitt because of Fight Club and everything. And... George Clooney was still pretty new, pretty riding high. It felt like right around the time of Ocean's 12 is when everybody turned artistic and Brad Pitt started adopting children from every country on the planet. We'll get a joke about that in here. (laughs) The cast itself just interested me less. And the fact that there's always this problem with romantic subplots where it's like the Karate Kid part one. If you remember that, Jacob, everything was about getting Allie in the first movie. Yes. Uh, All about the girlfriend. The second one, gone. She was a horrible woman. That whole first movie, (laughs) needless. And so when I knew Julia Roberts and Catherine Zeta-Jones weren't back, admittedly, some of the weaker parts of the last two, but it made me think that they were just going to kind of Get together because they liked hanging out together and that didn't make such a great movie for part two. (laughs) To me, that is a correction here. They, they realized that was the weakest part.
1: Yeah. You hated Kevin Zeta Jones. You hated Julia Roberts, but you missed them for the new movie. I'm confused. I'm
2: big on continuity. You should yes. know that by yes. now. Yes. I,
1: I agree. You even want the bad things to return. Yes. Oh. But people know that I generally don't like sequels to comedies. I've talked about this on Red 2. My fear is that they're going to try to laugh again and it's just not going to be funny this time. But keep in mind, Oceans is only half a comedy. I do think there's an action and a wit to it that the caper part of it is only part of the fun here. And what I'm hoping for is that they have a good con. We talked about problems with the screenplay last time. This time they've got some people that know the games. Uh, It's the screenwriters of Rounders, a movie I haven't seen, but I hear is pretty good. I like it. And the screenwriters of Runner Runner, a gambling movie with Justin Timberlake and Ben Affleck, which I hear is very bad. I haven't seen it. Yeah, well, me neither. I haven't seen either one of them, but it seems like they got people that at least know casinos, getting it back to Vegas, focusing on the boys when that's what we liked about the other movies. All of these seem like signs of encouragement.
2: That was the glimmering ray of hope is Vegas. I mean, Stuart, you're fond of saying you like movies about a place. I don't like movies about a place, but I like movies in a place. The last one felt so scattered to me. It was scattered plot-wise. It was scattered geographically. The first one, especially having been to Vegas just last year for the first time, I really enjoyed that geography there. I was happy to be back. That was something drawing me back to this movie and, yeah, giving me a little hope. I didn't realize these screenwriters were the guys who did rounders, but somebody who knows gambling, so much the better. All right. Well, let's hear what they wrote. Arnie, give them the plot. We'll get into it. Ruben, played by Elliot Gould, is sick and may be dying. He had a heart attack after getting screwed over by his business partner, Willie Bank, played by series newcomer Al Pacino. The two had gone in together to build a new Las Vegas casino called The Bank, but Bank forces Ruben to sign over his stake or be killed. But Ruben has good friends, ten of them to be specific, and they won't sit back and just let this happen. So Daniel Ocean, played for the third time by George Clooney, gets the gang back together. And returning to help Ruben R, Brad Pitt as Rusty Ryan, Matt Damon as Linus Caldwell, Bernie Mac as Frank Catton, Casey Affleck as Virgil Malloy, Scott Kahn as Turk Malloy, Eddie Jameson as Livingston Dell, Don Cheadle as Basher Tar, Shobo Quinn as the Amazing Yen, and Carl Reiner as Saul Bloom, who's apparently not too old for this shit anymore. Their plan is twofold. First, Every hotel Bank has opened has won the prestigious Five Diamond Award, so Saul poses as the reviewer for the committee, while the rest of the crew bribes the hotel staff to ensure the real reviewer, played by David Paymer, has a miserable stay, including bedbugs and horrid smells. But even more, they want Bank to lose millions on his opening night, rigging his casino to make the house lose big. It's a crazy plan that requires the help of Part 12's hologram engineer, Roman Nagel, played by Eddie Izzard. And a lot of machinations, including a booby-trapped Samsung, trademark phone, and a fake earthquake for which they need a giant drill. And when their giant drill breaks, they can't afford a replacement. So since they need a big money guy, their 13th member is their former mortal enemy, Terry Benedict, played by Andy Garcia. Benedict has a reason to hate Bank. His monstrous skyscraper has cast a literal shadow over the swimming pool of the Bellagio, and Benedict agrees to help Ocean's crew in exchange for double his money back and one more condition. They must steal the four diamond necklaces that Bank values so greatly that represent all of his five diamond awards. And again, it's a crazy convoluted scheme, we're going to get into it, but they do manage to pull it off, even when Benedict double-crosses the gang by bringing in Francois Talour, the international thief known as the Night Fox that we all tried to forget from the last movie. He was to try to beat the gang to the diamond necklaces, but of course, Ocean's crew pulls it out in the most audacious way possible, stealing not only the diamond necklaces, but their giant display via helicopter. The plot leaves Bank down a fortune, and with their winnings, the crew buy Ruben a new piece of Vegas land. And to punish Benedict for his duplicity, Ocean donates the casino owner's cut to a children's charity. And the original Eleven watch the Las Vegas fireworks as they're gathered one final time before they scatter and credits roll. Okay,
1: I kicked off the review last week by saying how much I didn't like the look of the movie. Ocean's 12, I thought it looked like cruddy video. Already I'm feeling better. When Ocean 13 starts, I'm seeing beautiful contrasting colors here. I'm seeing incredible shots where characters look yellow and with a blue background in a red room and really some beautiful colors here. I got to say, whatever they've done, whatever Soderbergh was playing around with last time, he's perfected. I think this might be the best looking Ocean's movie of the bunch.
3: Yeah, there's a real pop art feel to some of the scenes where the the light just makes everyone glow red or blue. Yeah, it it does look nice, some of the techniques they pull out here.
1: It's kind of Dick Tracy, not to bring up a movie I didn't (laughs) like particularly much, but it was a good looking movie and this is too.
2: Yeah, it definitely had a strange, hyper-colorful visual style to it that- is a little bit different than the others. It still feels like a whole... I don't know that I necessarily agree with best looking because I felt everything was a little too orange here. It's like it almost had the Bruckheimer orange filter on it or something. Like, everything was filmed in sunset, even indoors. But... I didn't have a big problem with the last one's look, though. So here, I did appreciate the aesthetic more. I attributed that to the locale. Being back in Vegas, they added a CGI skyscraper to the skyline there on the strip. It looks like a DNA strand in my mind, but it uh, is no more gregarious than anything else in Vegas. I went with it. Yeah, there's a giant pyramid, there's a sphinx,
3: a giant DNA strand would fit right in place in Vegas.
1: It's where the win would be, right? And, and that's what they're going to parody here. That what Al Pacino is parodying is basically Steve Wynn, the guy that came in and demoed old, beloved by some original casinos to make way for flashy new
2: Vegas joints. You guys been to the Wind? Yeah, would they have a great buffet? Lots of uh crab legs. Like I said, I went to Vegas. That one didn't make an impression on me. I was I I went into a lot of casinos and drank a lot of liquor, free. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and there's been a lot more that has opened since 2007. But back then, these were the ones that were popping up. I think most of this, what's subbing for it, is the Aria. All that brown interior that we see of Al Pacino's. You know, it's supposed to be the Midas. But Al Pacino dicks over Ruben and ends up naming it after himself. It's the bank because he's Willie Bank. And that's the Aria Casino. I have stayed in it and it is very plush. It is made for whale. If you got money, come here. And if you don't, run. <laughs> Now, I kind of like this plot that springs up. I like the plot of the last one, and I like this idea. The concept that rather than doing all of these heists to prove love to a woman that hasn't worked out for us in the past, they're going to make it about brotherly love. They're going to make it about Reuben, who is some kind of mentor to both George Clooney and Brad Pitt. We kind of saw that in the last movie because he... Fronted the money that Brad Pitt used to open up a failing West Hollywood hotel, and here Brad Pitt's going to repay the favor. The opening of this movie is him just leaving a heist before he's cracked the vault to go to Saul's bedside.
3: Yeah, you know, I like how they streamline things here. I again, a good hook for the plot. This time it's it's personal, you know, where yeah. this, this is a revenge scheme, which is great. It's a heist and a revenge film. But yeah, we don't see all 11 this time. After 12, I'm not feeling so hot on the group. So I'm glad everyone kind of just shows up at Rubens. I do love how they write out Tess and Isabel. Like, where's Tess and Isabel? Not their fight. We're moving on.
2: Now, with Tess and Isabel, I got that. Oh, shit. <laughs> For some reason, I forgot Catherine Zeta-Jones' character's name. And when they kept saying Tess and Isabel, I thought that Danny and Tess had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> no- they're
1: together yeah you you said that last week and i was a little confused about it but i'm like uh, yeah i i, I uh, yeah they're together that was supposed to be a thing we cared about that they're still yeah, together it they, lasted the three years or however long it's been
2: i really thought that they were talking about their breakup because he keeps talking about how she asked for a surprise she dropped the remote he put the towel back on i that they were broken up.
1: No, I think we're seeing two men dealing with maturity and learning not to be bachelors anymore. I mean, George Clooney is famously, up until recently, a very prominent bachelor. Brad Pitt had just landed Angelina Jolie this time. And so I think it is... Yeah, it feels kind of confessional. It feels like the movie stars themselves are explaining what it feels like to grow up here. And so, yeah, the women aren't there, but they're definitely being
2: discussed. I do like this whole concept, though, that they're bringing it back and making it personal. The first film, I just was enjoying the vibe of these guys robbing casinos. Casinos, who gives a damn about them? The last film, the whole reason why they were doing it seems sort of muddled, and it put them in a weak position. I don't know that I articulated it well last week, but having the crew be on the run takes away from the fun vibe. I mean, we want to like these guys and feel like they're in control of everything that's going down, and Ocean's 12 kind of robbed them of that. Here, we start with one of them in a moment of absolute weakness, Ruben. He not only makes a deal with the devil, I mean, Pacino was the devil, and... Then he has a heart attack, so he's physically ill, he's lost his money. The group are getting together, like you said, Jacob, this time it's personal, but I care more now because they're motivated again. They're not just trying to save their own lives or something like that. This time, they're in charge again, they're bringing their skills to bear, it just has that level of comfort that I think the last one missed. And I'm getting this from the very opening scenes when they're immediately just starting to place everyone in their position, just like they did in the first one, get people various scam jobs and things like that.
3: And I like that we have a good villain again. I Night Fox left me cold. Al Pacino, we get this flashback where he, we see him screwing over Ruben, and that's everything I need to know. I know I don't like this guy. I want to see this casino ripped off. I want this group to win. I mean, Al Pacino doing Al Pacino, I kind of slammed him for doing that insomnia, but doing that here, it works. I want an over-the-top villain, and he's working here for me.
1: I don't think he's as over top as he could go here. I think he's the perfect Al Pacino for this movie. I don't think that he hoo-haws his way through a ham fest, but he definitely is formidable. And you definitely believe that he's got the ego to screw Ruben out of it and that he deserves what's coming to him. Yeah, we have stakes in this. We want to see this guy get it.
2: Yeah, I am a little worried for Pacino, though. Please tell me that's a spray tan and that he's not actually baking his skin because he everything in this movie is orange, but he's like a weird color. He's almost Oompa Loompa. I got to
3: think it's a spray tan. Garcia looks like he they go to the same tanning salon. He looks <laughs> orange, too.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it's part of the character and just part of that sheen that successful Vegas people do. I mean, Steve Wynn, I don't know he's that orange, but I've seen his commercial. He's a boisterous guy. They've, they've got a good foil here with Pacino. And they got the plan already in place. One of the other things that's impressive is it doesn't take them so long. Last time, for us to figure out it's all about a Fabergé egg, it took like an hour. Here, we jump six months ahead and everything is in place. They're basically just contacting Eddie Izzard to get through the security system. But they know how they're going to beat the bank. Yeah, I do
3: like how, again, it's kind of montage-esque how they go through this plan. They're just going to bankrupt this hotel. We find out bank doesn't have a controlling stock in it, so if it doesn't make a certain amount of money, then he'll lose ownership. He'll lose his cut in this casino. So I, I like that, they, you know, with... Roman Izzard's character, he's like, so you want me to rig, you know, the dice? No, we got that handled, and we get a little cut. You want me to rig the slot machines? No, we got that handled. Give a little flashback to what they're doing there. You know, they're really building up. Why are they bringing in the hologram guy? That's all I know him as <laughs> at this point. Why are they bringing in? What is the big formidable thing in this film? What is the vault? What is the house that doesn't have a window at... <laughs> Eye level that they can get into. What is the thing they can't get into? i like how they build that. They have me. I don't know if on the edge of my seat's the right term, but I am anticipating what is the big thing they're going to have to do because they've already taken care of everything else.
1: With characters we like and characters we've never heard of. I've got to say, last time I feel like we didn't even talk about 8 of the 11. And here, I feel like more of them do play a role, but not all of them. I mean, Livingston, a character I don't think any of us have ever loved in all of this. But you always need a techie guy. I I loved when he was looking bad as
2: a comedian. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I always have an affinity for the hacker dork. Okay.
3: I don't know what his role is here. I was hoping you guys could explain it when we get there. I'm not sure why.
2: He's rigging the dealing machine so that it will give all the blackjack people 21s.
3: I got that. It's it's when he gets arrested. That's where I start getting confused.
1: Yeah, I thought that they needed the slot machines rigged, but they don't go to him. They get some kid that they pay $100,000. He's in debt for 30. Who is this guy? Is he the 13th one? Like, I don't get who Eugene is, and I don't know why they're not using their hacker they already have in their pocket and there's a pit boss who's
2: stealing gold silverware yeah neil and so they're getting him in on it i mean what's funny is on the commentary that was done before the movie came out and never as informative but soderbergh said he wanted to call this oceans 20 (laughs) And The studio just wouldn't have it, but it kind of is. Yeah,
3: Yeah. I I do feel like they should have gone like Ocean's 1 million, because that's how all of these have really played out. There are so many players.
1: Ocean 21, yeah, that's what you win in blackjack. That's probably accurate. We got Debbie, the concierge. There's a lot of people that help out here, and uh, yeah, it's way bigger than 11.
3: So many players, and I'm like, okay, they all have just bit roles. I don't need to follow this. I know they want to break the... Bank, literally, in this film. And so, okay, I'm going to go along with that. They make it more complex than I think it really needs to be. Just know there's a lot of people and they're all doing little things to build up to this heist.
2: Well, they're bringing in all these various people, but they're not serving the Eleven very well. Because if you look at what this plot is, it's a two-fold plot. On the one hand, it's make sure that Bank... I, I hate that name because yes. it's
3: just... I want to say
2: Banks. Yes, but yeah, this, bank. yeah, I agree. There should be an S. But they want to make sure Bank doesn't win that prestigious award. So that kind of monopolizes Saul and gives him something to do with a robotic dog that never pays off in any way. He carries around a barking bag. Okay, and? And then the other half is stealing the money. That's the real plot. But to steal the money, I mean, they send Casey Affleck to Mexico, and (laughs) he gets distracted and starts a workers' revolution. It really makes me feel like the first movie— I mean, they knew they were remaking Ocean's Eleven, but they had this plot where all Eleven felt necessary. Here, it feels like the reverse. They're like, all right, we're going to do this. How can we use all of them? Well, let's just, oh, crap. Let's send Casey Affleck down to Mexico. What the hell not?
3: I will say, though, I like when this group is used. Again, going back to Ocean's Eleven with Frank, he, he gets a couple good scenes. That's what I want. And so, yeah, when we see Casey Affleck and later the his brother Turk goes down there they're starting this revolution in Mexico I like the little skits I'll call them I feel like that's what best serves this ensemble so when they go back and they remember to do that with certain characters I'm enjoying it more than what we saw last week
1: I want to just point out Steven Soderbergh is just about to make his big Che epic and I think that we see that in that subplot the whole idea (laughs) of starting a revolution in Mexico I thought it was a fun warm up I thought it was something fun to do with characters that I've never cared about too much I I really don't care about Virgil and Turk. And so the idea that all they need to raise is $35,000 to pay for a whole labor force. (laughs) Yes, I thought that was funny. Yeah, uh, this is good stuff here. The fact that he's motivated by a Viva Zapata beer ad to (laughs) to do it all, and that Scott Kahn, of all people, has sent back down there to stop him. I don't think those guys like each other very much. But yeah, he's throwing a Molotov cocktail too. I thought this was a fun thing to do with characters that up to this point were just
2: gophers. Was it me or were they... Concluding a story arc from the last one, because in the first one they seem to have a rivalry, in the second one it had become open hostility, where one was getting engaged and not even acknowledging the other, and then at the end they say it's all about how you ran over my remote control truck three years ago. And then this one Turk is like he doesn't even listen to me, and then they go down there and have a revolution together. Is this the conclusion of like a trilogy of their character arc where they come together as brothers? For better or for worse, continuity, you you say you had problems with
3: continuity because Tess and Isabel aren't here. But I, I do feel like Sundberg and then the writers were following continuity. Yeah, with the brothers here, Brad Pitt's going to make some more references about this failing hotel. That's going to be a thing. Linus, him and his relationship with his dad's going to become a big thing. Like they did pay attention to those other films. I wasn't expecting the continuity to be so tight here.
1: Yeah, I didn't think they'd bring back Night Fox. Given the unpopularity (laughs) of 12, I thought they would leave everything new about that movie on the cutting room floor. If anything, you bring back Catherine, you don't bring back Vincent. But I liked Vincent. I guess I was the only
2: one. I think that, yeah, he could be fun to have here. His laser scene was really cool. I mean, I got to give him that totally. Yeah, they don't do anything with him. That's the problem. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I don't know that he does so much in this movie, but it is overstuffed. And some people are well served, and some people aren't Saul, a character I love. He's a little bit fun as Kensington Chubb, the fake reviewer, but mostly he's just there so that we can torture David
2: Pamer. David Pamer's a character actor I have always enjoyed and stuff, and here's no different. He's basically playing that David Pamer part, but he really takes some abuse here. I'm not even sure why they have to do this to him. I mean, It's not like Bank has rigged this five-diamond award where he's paying somebody off. I mean, I think just screwing with the guy's dinner reservation and not giving him good service at the desk is enough. You don't have to give him bed bugs, a skin disease, and a stinky (laughs) room.
3: Look, four diamonds was too good. Three diamonds was too good. They wanted to make sure he got zero diamonds.
1: Yes, you're right. Simply having an empty restaurant and saying we have no accommodations for you would be enough to not get that diamond diamond medal or whatever it is that you you get for being an awesome hotel, but it wouldn't be enough for us. The fun of it, the slapstick of this movie, the humor, largely comes, I feel, from watching David Paymer get tortured.
3: Yeah, it's painful. You got to see his face just covered in bed
2: bug bites. That is cringe inducing. I love it when he pulls out the goggles and sees the bed bugs. (laughs) Why doesn't he flee? (laughs) And I want to know where I can buy those goggles. So that way I can check every hotel room I go in. I really thought he was pulling out, you know, the black light. I thought he was just going to see, in the words of Guardians of the Galaxy, a Jackson Pollock painting. But (laughs) no, it's worse. Maybe if you become a five diamond
3: reviewer they'll give you those goggles it's part of the job
1: and i think that they know they're pushing the limit here that we don't necessarily want to see an innocent person get tortured so they have a payout he's going to get 11 million at the very end of this movie that that's worth it believe me i would undergo everything that he goes for for half a half of that susan b anthony (laughs) But that's a large part of the physical humor in this. The problem really is the obstacle that they don't have covered. The thing that Linus couldn't figure out, but that Eddie Izzard has, is that there is a machine, a supercomputer, if you will, that is going to make it impossible for them to cheat at the tables. Because it reads vital signs and it knows
2: when people know that they're cheating. That's a very cool concept. And I wonder if it's real. It feels real. I have learned while doing extra research for Ocean's Eleven that like all these slot machines are controlled by a master computer. You think that a slot machine just paid out big. And so you should move on to the next machine. The payout doesn't matter what machine you're at. There's a central like server that's going to determine the payout and you're just as liable sitting at the same one as moving to the next one. So knowing how these are also linked, I wouldn't doubt that they're doing all of this kind of biometric scanning. It may not be accurate. It may not even be admissible. Hell, a polygraph isn't even legally admissible in many states. So I don't know that it's anything other than the casino's own peace of mind, but I love it as a concept. It's sci-fi that feels real. Yeah,
3: yeah we, we know that Bank doesn't have a problem doing something that may not be admissible. I mean, he's hacked into the fingerprint database. He's hacked into the FBI database. He, he's doing these kind of things. If this wasn't an Oceans film, I'd be rolling my eyes so hard. But again, I'm willing to give it. Yeah, give us the craziest obstacle you have to overcome. And I'll go with that.
2: The only
1: thing I will say is they already showed how someone cheated through a lie detector test by having some kind of painful thing in his shoe that regulates- Which is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. His his biorhythms or whatever. So they- don't have to go to the solution that they do, but of course they have to give Basher something to do. They give Basher <laughs> a lot to do in this movie, and one of them is to create a earthquake. They call it doing it an Irwin Allen, because he made all of those disaster films in the 70s. They're going to actually hire a, a giant drill. I mean, we see the son of a bitch come in on this huge semi, yes. and like they're making the channel that goes between London and France. Literally, this is the drill they used for the channel.
2: <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. That seems like a heist in and of itself, is to steal the <laughs> drill that did the tunnel and then bring it to Vegas.
3: Yeah, how do you get that ship to Vegas with no authorities? Like, that's gotta be on a declaration somewhere.
1: I don't know, but you're right. It's awfully fun, and Basher needs something better to do than shoot a crossbow across a building that that's not level
2: to his eye line. See, and I still don't think he's doing the right stuff, though. It's like, we have to do something with Basher. He was the demolitions expert not a drill guy he should be blowing crap up well close enough he is shaking the earth so that
1: it simulates a 5.6 quake and that is going to be enough to turn off this supercomputer i think they call it the greco player system
2: and i do love brad pitt coming in as a basically a hippie (laughs) To warn Pacino about the possibility of earthquakes and give him a machine to monitor, which is actually bugged, so they got a nanny cam in Banks' office. That was a really funny skit, like you said, Jacob, for lack of a better term there. He looks like a character we would have seen in any of the 90s
1: disaster films, you know, like Pierce Brosnan in Dante's Peak or something like that. He just looks like one of those fake Hollywood scientists with the flowing long locks.
2: Also with disguises, they put this horrible fake nose on Matt Damon this time around. I don't know... Why he felt he was so well-known, he needed this nose to pretend to be the attaché for the amazing Yen, who isn't doing acrobatics, but is instead pretending to be a wealthy whale of a gambler.
3: I do like that they kind of reversed roles. Instead of, especially, you know, that 1960s Ocean's Eleven, the the thing would be to have the Asian servant uh, serving the white master. Here, they did reverse that. I like that Yen was the high roller real estate guy from China, and Matt Damon, he's playing the lowly servant here
1: and not only that but we've seen the love story of george clooney we've seen the love story of brad pitt we've got to give uh matt damon something to flirt with how about a cougar how about ellen barkin we don't bring back julia roberts and we don't bring back Catherine zeta jones but we dig up ellen barkin here's the
2: story behind that and there is one i'd love to know it she was in oceans 12 what really on the cutting room floor Oh. And so Soderbergh felt like he had to do a make good. So here she is in a totally different role, but one that couldn't possibly end up on the cutting room floor. Ellen Barkin's kind of a strange one in my mind. You know, I really kind of came to know her because of Sea of Love and that Blake Edwards comedy Switch in the late 80s. And I don't know, maybe it's because of Switch where... She was playing a man in a woman's body, but she's always come off as very much like an even more masculine Sharon Stone to me.
1: Yeah, she's brassy. I mean, she's got balls. I think of her as a Kathleen Turner more than a Sharon Stone. I guess she's sexy in a way, but she has a real menace to her. I mean, the fact that she's, yeah, kicking models out or waitresses, whatever they want to call them, because they've gained four pounds. You can believe that she would do it. And I fear for Matt Damon when he has to
2: snuggle up with her. Best uh, female role in this franchise? Yeah. Played by the actress? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'll completely agree because while I have that feeling about Ellen Barkin, you know what she was coming off as here to me is kind of like a 10 years older Cameron Diaz. Yeah, I got a Cameron Diaz vibe from her. It's partially the hair, but she actually came across as sexy in this, which is something I'd never really thought of for Barkin. And I mean, I I used to make the joke, dog Barkin, you know. So finding her sexy and in this way really means they had some good stylists on the set.
1: Yeah, I think Bargain has charisma, but I agree. It's, it's a hard-edged one. I mean, she was never in the woozy romantic comedy. She was always in the weird screwball 80s movies. Yeah, it was never uh, Sandra Bullock or Julia Roberts role that she played. But if she's got to be the assistant to Al Pacino, we need to believe that she can go toe-to-toe with him. Unfortunately, I don't think they have enough scenes together. I would have liked to see a little bit more of their chemistry. We have the camera in there, and so we do see them together a little bit. But that's usually only to further the plot. It isn't because they get to play off one another.
3: I'll have to say that, yeah, when they are together, I don't know why he hired her. Like, at one point, all the high rollers are walking out of the casino, and he's like, where are they going? And she's like, I don't know, I'll I'll find out for you. Like, if you're the right-hand man, you're on top of that stuff. She should have known more what was going on.
2: She really is kind of an Achilles heel to him here, but that said, he's a micromanager. We see that at the very beginning. He is himself going around and pushing over floral arrangements and... When water gets murky, he's right there personally firing the guy and knowing the guy well enough to say, We should have fired you a week ago, so that makes it our fault. He doesn't really need a right hand man. He is doing, he's a one man show. He would have been a two man show, except he got rid of Ruben. So I viewed her. As an assistant slash secretary, she can handle the small stuff, but nobody was empowered enough to possibly risk Bank's five-star diamond thing. When she found Saul and Saul clumsily drops the five-diamond book, she just calls Bank in, but she does very little. Bank does the schmoozing
1: yeah she isn't one of the 13 right i'm trying to figure out who the 13 are here and maybe it's debbie the concierge or no 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 it's real
2: simple eddie Izard is now part of the tribe he's 12 okay i thought he might be and benedict ah. is 13 and it's in that the old cliche of movies is your enemy is now your ally you must be teaming up and that's what they do here
3: yeah, I remember that from the trailer. That that was spoiled, that Benedict was going to be on Danny Ocean's side in this film.
1: Yeah, they have a really good moment at some point where Andy Garcia's like, do you think you'll fall for it? And Clooney's like, you did. I mean, yeah, it was in the trailer. It is something we want to see here. I think it's right. If you're bringing everyone back, or at least all the boys back, we need to see Andy Garcia, too. And the fact that he hates Bank is perfect. Of course he would. Yeah, the enemy of my enemy. Yeah, I like that plot.
3: And I do love that it's for something as trivial as his tower cast a shadow over my pool. That does seem like a Terry Benedict grudge.
2: But if you think about it, he's really playing the Ruben role in this one, because in the first movie, Ruben was the guy who bankrolled the job because Benedict was literally demolishing his casino. And here, now Benedict is bankrolling because somebody else built a casino bigger than his. I mean, the shoe is completely on the other foot. But I like that Benedict also still holds a grudge and is still going to play his own game. He's not only going to get back at his enemy, but he also needs to double his money, get paid first of anyone on the job, and he's still going to try to screw everybody over. That's right. He's going
1: to hire the Night Fox. I guess Night Fox didn't rip him off or got caught doing so and is now in the employee of Terry Benedict.
2: Listen, I like Night Fox in here as a punchline. That is a funny joke, given that I had to sit through Ocean's 12. But <laughs> the less I think about the Night Fox, the happier a person I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's not in here much. And yeah, he mostly comes in to rob them at gunpoint at the end, showing that he indeed maybe wasn't as good as Ocean's 12 would lead you to believe. But yeah, I do like what it means for Terry. If you were worried that he kind of looked weak compared to Night Fox last time, he's definitely in charge this time.
3: Yeah, and it is funny that they're going to him because their drill breaks. They have to buy the drill that we used on the French side of the channel to finish the job. I giggled at that.
2: And I think, again, that it would have been a little bit better if they needed Benedict from the beginning. I'm trying to get out of happenstance, which the last movie was so full of. I mean, given that Ruben was their bankroll guy and Ruben lost everything, where were they going to get the money to buy all of these fake slot machines, and all this other stuff, and the first drill to begin with. They
1: had it, right? I mean, all of that was covered somehow. I don't know how, but...
3: Yeah, but it was still... Because they never paid... Benedict back with their own
2: money, I thought. I thought. I think they said that they pooled all the money they had left to get from that first job. But bringing Benedict in earlier wouldn't have been a bad thing in my mind.
3: Especially since they spoiled it in the trailers. If that was an unknown, that would have been a great reveal when they go to him for money. But because it was spoiled, yeah, bring him in early. I agree.
1: Well, he has another function. He gives uh, poor Bernie Mac the only thing he's going to do in this movie. (laughs) He starts a bidding war with Al Pacino over whether or who gets bernie max uh what is this thing it's a domino game
3: i <laughs> come on thi- has this thing been approved by the nevada gaming commission you can't just start a new game in your casino
1: <laughs> i don't care how short the skirts are this does not smell right More no. than, oh,
2: well i don't know what's coming out from under that skirt then but more to the point isn't this a little racist to have the black man sell a dominoes game <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, it's
3: Bernie Mac, though. I, I, he sells it.
2: I mean, I'm saying it works, but just the whole thought of somebody putting that in their casino, I think there'd be a riot. Yeah, he
1: only does it, of course, because Terry Benedict says he wants it when Al Pacino probably would have passed. But they're at a expo for gaming, and Pacino doesn't realize he's being scammed. He buys something he doesn't need, and maybe he would have thrown it away after opening night. But he bought it so that Terry couldn't have it.
3: And what is the purpose of that? Frank doesn't rip anyone off. Is he just like, is it rigged so people win, so more of Bank's money goes out to gamblers i I never even got what the point of that domino game being there was for
1: like livingston we see (laughs) bernie on the floor but he largely doesn't do anything at least he doesn't get arrested i mean livingston gets arrested in in the final part of this movie bernie it's good to see him i know he wasn't medically doing very well but he's not what he wasn't To the first film, to say the least. They're kind of giving everything to Basher. I mean, I mentioned before, he gets to operate the drill. He's also the one that gets Ruben out of the coma, right? I mean, he's the one that encourages Linus to read him magazines and have everyone write letters of encouragement that bring him back into the fold.
2: Is everyone writing letters? I thought Bash was just writing a lot of letters himself. Yeah,
1: I took it as just Basher writing them
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, and in fact, at the very end, he thanks Bash for the letters. And I think there's just something in those letters. I get the impression that if Linus had read those letters the way he was supposed to, Reuben would have woken up a lot earlier. But Linus just felt too embarrassed to read them. And so he just let them pile up. Okay,
1: all right. Well, and Basher didn't do it because of his accent and no one can understand him. I do see he's taking diction lessons and he does put that to use in the heist when someone has to impersonate an American, he's
2: going to be the one to do it. Hey, I just got to give Don Cheadle certain credit. I should have called this out last movie. His cockney was so bad in Ocean's Eleven. It wasn't great. He's done so much better now in the past two films.
3: He was barely in 12.
2: I didn't have a chance to notice, but yeah, he's he's back in this one. But I do love when he's pretending to be the motorcycle jumper and I don't know if you guys noticed, he even put in a fake tooth with an American flag in front.
3: Yes, I love that. <laughs> the diamond was the stars and he had the other stripes. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was at
2: first I'm like, what's on his
1: teeth? Oh, a flag. He's walking away with the show. I tell you, you forget George Clooney's in this sometimes. But Clooney's playing the cool role. He's gloating. He's the one that has got 18 guys, right? They're whales is the code for these guys. They're the big fish that have a lot of money that he's going to have win at the right moment when that earthquake is triggered. They're going to win the money and walk out with the house. And that's going to be what really is Pacino's downfall. And Pacino thinks he's won them back. Uh, During the soft opening, 12 have already walked out. Pacino thinks he's won them back by offering Danny 20% of their losses. And again, that just reinforces as if we needed another reminder about how devious and rotten Al Pacino is.
2: Yeah, I wondered why you'd have them leave just to come back and then leave again. But now it makes a whole lot of sense. They came to bet big and win big during those few minutes that everything went to hell. But the timing on this, out of all of the Ocean's plots... This make the house lose seems like the most far-fetched and convoluted, even more than a holographic Fabergé egg that was never used. (laughs) And Julia Roberts? That
1: isn't Julia Roberts?
3: (laughs) And the fact that they are going to end up doing it in three minutes and 20 seconds, make the house lose 500 million.
2: Yeah. Yeah. At that time, they've got everything so synchronized and it's Ocean's 80, right? I mean, the pit bosses are changing dice (laughs) and changing the marbles on the roulette wheel and everything is happening at once it's all very very confusing now you did ask about livingston's role there was a cutscene where he calls eddie izzard in to help him rig the slot machines because the slot machines are so difficult to do and eddie izzard helps him figure out how to do it but then goes there's no way you're going to be able to do this to all those slot machines in such a short time which is why they then have livingston get arrested and replace all the slot machines
3: Oh, I, that's what confused me, because we get scenes early on. There's an FBI agent. He gets notified that Ocean's crew is in Vegas, and so we're meant to think that they're going to arrest them all, and that's going to be a foil. I know better than that. But, yeah, we see Livingston get arrested. We see his fingerprints get ran. They, they're they going to hack into the FBI database and Photoshop. Like, this is the craziest hacking scheme ever. The Mormon twins are going to Photoshop their pictures. <laughs> like in real time before bank can see them. Like this stuff gets crazy. Photoshop is hard, yo. You can't do that. No, not in real time while you're hacking. I don't, can
1: you load Photoshop up to the FBI server to do that even? I'm not asking these questions, but I am having a problem with the fact that Scott (laughs) Kahn is doing the hacking at this point when they have a perfectly good hacker that hasn't done anything the whole movie, but get arrested.
2: Actually, it's Affleck. And because there's that joke, Scott Kahn's like, I couldn't have done it better. And he's like, yeah, that's why you didn't do it. Oh, OK. I get I have trouble keeping those two
1: track. It was done largely in voice. So there. there's some funny lines.
3: Yeah. Affleck makes con into a midget in 34 <laughs> states. And yeah, that was funny. Again, again I, I like the little one-liners here. I'm having I'm having more fun than I did last week. I'm smiling more.
1: Yeah, and that's everything. Again, it's testing my words. Last week, I said it, a dumb plot wouldn't matter if I'm laughing, and I am laughing, guys. We might grouse about the improbability of this heist, but I like it. I think it's fun to watch that they've got this supercomputer that's going to be down for three minutes. That's going to lock Al Pacino up. That they have to figure out something to do with Ellen Barkin while they're sweeping. The floor as if Ellen Barkin could stop them if she were doing her job, but
2: I'm not sure I understand that. No, 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 no. Ellen Barkin is the way to the diamonds. Nah. Benedict brought one other condition, and that is in addition to all this other <laughs> convoluted shit you got going on, we want to hurt Bank even more by stealing his diamonds. And the only way to get there is to get Ellen Barkin to let Linus into that office.
3: Yeah, there's a whole lot of pointless scenes with Yen going through the elevator shaft to figure out how thick the floor is, see if they could blow it out. And yeah, ultimately, it comes down to the cougar the Gilroy. Yeah, what is the Gilroy? Did I miss a line? All of a sudden I see the Gilroy written on the screen, and I'm not sure what's going on.
2: They did mention the Gilroy was like a pheromone thing, They were because he was trying to say he didn't need the Gilroy. What makes her so man-hungry is whatever this little dot of pheromone he puts on his neck is, and you want to talk about improbability, I think. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
1: and again, it's called Gilroy, I think. Well, there's I had two theories on that. One, Tony Tony Gilroy is a screenwriter for the Bourne series. He had also penned Michael Clayton, and I think maybe they were giving a nod to him. Maybe he was the one that came up with that idea. Who knows? And also, isn't Gilroy the town that's all garlic?
3: Yes, there's a Gilroy Garlic Festival in Gilroy, California, so you're right.
1: I've driven through. It stinks for miles before you get there. So I think that that might have been maybe the reason too. I I couldn't tell you why it was the Gilroy, but they got codes for everything. And sometimes I get it. Sometimes I don't get the references, but I'm usually smiling. And even though this scene is way stupid, how can you not laugh when Matt Damon is trying to drink through a champagne glass and the (laughs) nose gets in the way?
2: Yeah, and I thought he'd actually go for it. I mean, we've never really seen Linus have a romantic subplot. I thought, like you had said, this would be Linus's movie and he'd end up with the girl at the end. Yeah, they could have done that. He starts to freak out a little bit when she pulls down his pants. That's not what he's there to do. He has attached these little suction cups that somehow are going to allow the uh, helicopter to steal the entire display. Well, he attaches the explosives. The little hooks were put on earlier. Okay, that's what Yin did.
3: Yes he's putting explosives so they could blow the roof and pull that vault out.
1: Yin is a now successful like Chinese movie star that doesn't do his own stunts. I thought that was kind of funny.
3: Yeah, they CGI'd his last stunt and yeah. he's afraid to do
1: that elevator
3: trick.
2: The funniest part being that the actor has not worked in Chinese or American cinema. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but largely, I don't think they needed him. I, I honestly think, yeah, Matt Damon could have done all the work. Brad Pitt had done something to the roof earlier. He had snuck by a guard who was was worried about his kid taking Ridlin and biting cafeteria lunch ladies. Uh, they already had it worked out, but they have to get Yen in because they have to get everybody in. And so, all right, I can go with it. I'm smiling. I'm laughing at the jokes. Everyone has a moment that amuses me. I never feel anybody, well, with the exception of Bernie Mac, is
2: truly wasted. To a degree, Ruben, I mean, he is left in bed the whole movie. <laughs> he is the reason for why they do it, but it doesn't give the actor a whole lot to do.
1: Well, he gets to come back in a very loud outfit, and gloat at the end here. I mean, I like that he wakes up and that he's there for opening night to see it go so badly. That's certainly rewarding. I never felt like Elliot Gould ever got his hands dirty. He was always the, the guy that funded the con men, but he himself rarely was involved in the heist.
3: So here's my question about the earthquake. the, the rev- This whole thing was to set an earthquake which was supposed to kill the server. That's not what happens, though. Was the point of the earthquake to get Pacino to go check up on the Greco and in turn bring in this diamond gold phone that,
2: what, has an electric pulse on it that's going to kill the servers in there? I think it's twofold. I think that the earthquake triggered certain things and then getting him down there on the phone did a second.
1: The phone it was the thing that was supposed to be from Samsung prototype that Ellen Barkin almost lost her job from Not delivering, but got. And let's face it, in real life,
2: Bank would have wanted an iPhone. Six plus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they got gold ones. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I got lost a little bit in this. But like I said, I'm not really asking logistic questions. I'm rolling with it. It's fun. It's fun to watch Pacino freak out locked in a computer room. It's fun to watch all our players winning up on the showroom floor. Yeah,
3: I love how they put the dollar amounts above everyone as they're winning. and
2: That I liked. But the whole freaking out in the computer room, are we not just getting a callback? I mean, it's a good movie to so call back to it. But Ocean's Eleven, Benedict in his computer room watching the safe get robbed.
1: Yep, that's exactly what it is. Only this time, Benedict is the one laughing. He's watching all of this on a monitor, thinking he's going to get the last laugh because Night Fox is up on the roof with his gun waiting to nab the jewels that are actually fakes off Linus.
3: Yeah, Benedict said he didn't care what happened to the jewels. He just wanted them stolen. But yeah, I got the sense that Night Fox was hired by Benedict to actually steal them.
2: Yeah, that was another cut scene that was there as Benedict and... Night Fox meeting clandestine, and that's where Benedict actually gets his cheesy line, I was born ready. He was imitating the Night Fox, thinking it was cool. All these scenes deserve to be cut, by the way, but they do explain <laughs> a few things.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's nothing that I needed to know so badly that I would have wanted a scene that was killing the mood to be stuck in there. I think that the God knows there's enough going on, and I'm
2: just happy to take the ride. I... I'm halfway with you. It sounds like you're enjoying this film more than I am because of the ride. There's a big part of my brain that's telling me this is all so convoluted and most of what the characters are doing is pointless and that whole Mexican Revolution thing was a needless plot addition and I'm struggling to rein it all in and keep track of it all. I'm enjoying the jokes when they come, but the method of the joke's delivery is not always pleasant. It's not as convoluted as last week. Oh, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. No, Don't don't take it as me saying as convoluted (laughs) as last week, but just way more convoluted than part one still.
3: Oh, of course. I I think that was perfect simplicity. Here, though, I like that this isn't really a heist. It's just there to bankrupt this casino, and so it it's the same as these other Oceans films, but there's a little twist to make it seem a little bit fresher, get my attention a bit more. I, I'm enjoying this a heck of a lot more than last week, at
1: least. Yeah, I think that's going to measure up in my summation of the whole series is, no, it's not the first one, but yeah, it's a lot of fun, and certainly better than the low of Part 12. The one thing that shocked me, the one thing I did not see coming in this cast of characters, Super Dave! Y- y'all remember Super <laughs> Is Dave? Is that who that was? Yes! Was that Super Dave? Super Dave Osborne? Yes, Linus's dad. Agent Caldwell. I stuck on that name. I'm like, who's Caldwell? I know that name. Well, it's Linus's last name, and yes. he's the one arresting Linus as they get in the elevator. It suddenly clicks for me. That's Super Dave, the stunt guy. Wow.
3: Oh, so the actual stunt cycle guy wasn't Super Dave, he was the FBI <laughs> agent. I know! Okay. Why
1: didn't he get that part? That made me so mad that he so deserved to to have that midnight shot going through a hoop of fire or whatever the hell uh, was supposed to be going on there. But yeah, Super Dave is, is
2: part of the plot too. But you know who's not part of the plot is Saul. <laughs> he was really relegated to that one little bit with David Paymer and gone.
1: Yeah. Like I said, he is uh, second fiddle to David Paymer. David Paymer is the one covered in boils coming up to Pacino on opening night saying, you know, I'm a nobody and you've
2: treated me badly. I do like the scene where the Mormon twins kick him out, though. But yeah, they do pull it off in that three minutes, 500 million lost. And I do like the final showdown between Ocean and Bank. I mean, these are talky movies and Bank's like, you haven't even touched me until Ocean points out the entire extent of the damage that was done. I don't know how this really helped Benedict. That building's not coming down. There's still going to be a shadow over that pool. Now, I don't know. If the casino closes, it'll be demoed by Tuesday. But I don't think the casino was going to close so much as the board was just going to kick Bank out of his own hotel. But
1: you know what I do like? They bring it back to the first movie. And I'm not talking about the 2001 movie. They do that a lot. But they bring it back to Sinatra. You shook Sinatra's hand. You know, they talk about the casinos of old Vegas that have been demoed and are gone and replaced by new Vegas ones. I like that they went with those sentiments. I like that we're seeing middle-aged men talking about the passage of time, looking at how it's impacted Vegas.
3: Yeah, I thought we would have got a 1960 Ocean's Eleven reference in the 2001 Ocean's Eleven, but no, we do get a lot of Sinatra here. That's a reoccurring theme, as being tied to old Vegas. Mm-hmm. And
2: I did put that together, that Sinatra was in the first one, but it also just feels like... It wouldn't have had to be in the first one, right? Like, shaking Sinatra's hand just seems to bring with it a kind of callback to a day in Vegas where there was a code of honor that may not exist anymore in the day of Vegas shopping malls and...
1: I think they were afraid. I think Clooney thought that he would get skewered if he tried to say, hey, I'm the new Frank Sinatra. I think that's why they didn't reference it so heavily in the first movie. But here, if this is the last of the ones, you got to give a salute to where it all came from. And whether you like that 1960 movie or not, it is the origin of all of these other
2: films that followed. So I like the salute. And Clooney had a statue by now, so he could care a little less. True. But- With callbacks, there's one that just didn't work for me. I know, Jacob, you didn't like the Bellagio fountain scene. I loved the Bellagio fountain scene. When they try to recreate it with fireworks... That was a soundstage, right? They're they're not in Vegas for that shot. That, That looks awful. And they're talking through the whole thing. What I loved about the fountain scene is they're all there reflecting, you know, thinking about what they've pulled off and what they now have. Here, they're verbalizing what they were able to convey with just facial expression last time. You got Reuben there. Thanks for the letters. You couldn't just have them look at each other and share a meaningful glance, you know? It felt a little much. And it may sound like I'm nitpicking, but if you've watched the two scenes back to back, I'm not.
1: It's not as good, but I still kind of liked it. And again, I think that's my review of the whole damn thing.
2: Well, we'll get to that in just a second, but a last few jokes have to come. I mean, Benedict tried to double cross them, so Ocean gets Benedict back with Oprah.
3: You know what? I like this because I didn't want Benedict to win, even though he helped him out. And I'm just glad that earlier there's this Oprah scene where Brad Pitt goes into Clooney's room and Clooney's there watching Oprah and crying. (laughs) And I'm like, this is not a funny joke. This joke, I'm not laughing at. But they bring it back that, yeah, now Benedict's got to go on Oprah to talk about how he loves giving all this charity money to this children's foundation.
1: I agree. We could not have Andy Garcia in any way win. He cannot be part of the 13. I know that he's supposed to count, but he is still the enemy and he deserves to be punished. And I can't think of a worse punishment than going on Oprah and saying how you gave away money that you so tried to steal.
2: <laughs> it was a nice scene. Can't believe they got Oprah. Really? Yeah, I mean, she seems like a hard one to get. Yeah, not for George Clooney. <laughs> True. There's probably a quid pro quo there. Yeah, hanging out at some political rally together. I didn't so much care for all the parting of ways scenes. It felt like Soderbergh knew when he was making this movie, this was the end for him. There was not going to be an Ocean's 14. He said it all over the commentary before the movie was ever out. This is the end. It was really hard to get these guys back together. We're never going to do one unless we get all 11 guys back. And of course, now we... Bernie Mac's not around, so Mm -hmm. that's not happening. Very sadly, yeah. So this is the end of the trilogy. But it's like there's one... too many denouements here. One too many goodbyes. It's like that band that you kind of enjoyed their concert, but could you just please not have another encore?
3: <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, Linus getting accepted I don't care about Linus and his dad's relationship. I'm shocked that that has been a storyline in this entire trilogy. Like. I care about the core characters, not so much all their backstories.
1: Did Livingston get out of jail? That was the one, like, Dangling Fred. Like, I'm not sure that that guy got out, but. He was at the fireworks display. Okay, well, somehow.
3: Yeah, he was led off by Linus's dad, so I don't think they actually arrested
1: him. Ah, uh, right. Okay, everybody's in on it. Who cares? It's just a movie, and yeah, I don't need to obsess over the logistics of it. The point is, uh, we've all had
2: fun, or at least I think we have, and we got to say goodbye so jacob stewart do you recommend oceans 13 jacob
3: i'll put it this way 13 is no 11 but it's also no 12 it it falls in between i miss that simplicity of that first one that i i really like when you can just tell a simple story but it's also great and engaging here it gets a little bit muddled it's nowhere nearly as bad as that storyline in 12 you know here things actually pay off what we see they're not trying to fool us as much and i like this plot i like the revenge story i like the heist that it's not really a heist it's just to break this casino and i like a lot of the skits or the jokes here i'm smiling more i'm having a good time i don't know how far Apart, my opinion, of 12 and 13 actually are. I I think, you know, if I had to chart them on a graph, they're actually pretty close. But this is on the recommend side. This one, it's more enjoyable. I'm smiling more. It's not as great of a party as 11, but I I had a good time. So recommend.
2: Stuart.
1: Yeah, I think the party this time is a high school reunion, which, let's face it, that's not as exciting as graduation. First movie, they did something. They came together, they accomplished it, and it was great fun. Here, they're coming back for their bows. This is just to see how everyone's doing and to make sure you still know that they're cool. And they are! I have fun with this movie. But no, the first movie made me drunk and love. It was fun and witty and smart and sexy and just a great time. And this movie, I like it. I recommend it. But I don't know. You could stop with the first movie and be just fine. I don't know that what's good about part three is worth going through. 12 to get there. And so, ranking the series in total, I would say the only one you really need to see that everyone should see is Oceans 11, 2001. And yeah, this one's a recommend, but not a strong one.
3: Yeah, it's a shame that they do tie in continuity from 12 here, so you might be a little lost if you wanted to skip that one.
2: <laughs> you have to, right? Yeah, I mean, I just watched 12 a week ago and still forgot Isabel wasn't Danny's daughter. <laughs> I was like that was really quick of them to have a baby she wasn't really pregnant remember and we all saw the same movie here if I didn't like oceans 11 as much as I did I probably wouldn't enjoy oceans 13 is the catch if oceans 11 was the title of oceans 13 if the first movie with Clooney and the gang was the one we're reviewing tonight I don't see there have ever been a sequel. I think that this one, I'm enjoying the jokes because I've now spent six hours with these guys. I feel like I know the Mormon twins. I feel like I have seen Linus kind of grow up in his criminal career. But you said High School Reunion. That's it in a nutshell. We had great times in the past. Good to see you. We have nothing today. (laughs) That's where I put this movie. It's a recommend because I enjoyed these guys so much in Ocean's 11. I honestly came into this recording thinking there was no way in hell this would get three green arrows because I liked the first movie so much more than even you guys did. I thought it would. if this was coasting on goodwill for me, one of you guys was going to red arrow it. But I think we're all seeing the same thing here. It's a mess of a movie. The script is not that much better than the last one, but it's a little bit cleaned up. There's no bad female sucking this down the way Catherine Zeta-Jones did two and Roberts did one. And the jokes are sharper. It's a funnier movie that doesn't rely on hokey gimmicks like bruce willis thinking tess is julia roberts and julia roberts calling herself on the phone so yeah recommend and if we're ranking then i would say oceans 11 2001 the best i agree everyone should see that Ocean's 13, number two, a far fall. Ocean's 12 is number three, because even that had better jokes than the prank phone calls and all that crap that went on for an hour in that 60s one.
3: And I disagree. I mean, come on, 11, 13. I'm going to go with the 60s one before I get to 12. That, I don't know, I was more engaged with the heist, at least in that one. 12 is just too much of a mess for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. Okay, the 60s one wasn't funny, but it was fun to look back at that era. There was nothing nostalgic for me about 2004 or Ocean's 12. I will say only this about your rating is, I do think I liked Ocean's 13 more than you did. It's not a faint recommend. It's not, oh, I'm giving you a pass for everything that you did prior. I think that there's good stuff in this movie. And so, yeah, I think that if there was no oceans 11 2001 i would still give this movie a green arrow it's dwarfed in the shadow of that first film and so yeah my ranking is the same as you jacob and we can all agree no more right or no oceans tv series either (laughs) like we don't want any more of this they've done their job they can all retire
2: here's the thing is if they did it I wouldn't want them to do what they did here and fall into the pitfall of the ever-growing thing. I mean, I look at this movie, I especially look at Ocean's 12, and you know what I kept thinking? I really fear Avengers 2 coming out. I mean, we're dealing with the same thing. This ever-expanding cast of characters and growing continuity. At last count, I think there were 18 characters in from the Marvel comics who are going to be in Avengers Age of Ultron. And I'm not saying Joss Whedon is a better director than Steven Soderbergh. I don't think Whedon's done enough film work to really make that determination, but he juggles the cast so much better. But I'm still worried about that. If you're going to do it, remake Ocean's Eleven the same way again. You got Danny Ocean and a group of people robbing Vegas in some regard. But then, you know, do like Something else. Make it like Ocean's Revenge and things like that. Don't make it where you have to bring back all 11 every time. Make it a rotating cast. Bring in the characters you need for that episode if you're going to make this a series. But don't just keep growing the cast because I think this thing was a victim of its own success in bloating.
1: And you're not saying reboot, right? You're not saying get Tover Grace and everybody else to (laughs) to play Danny Ocean. They should go with some select willing members of the original not the original they're all dead the (laughs) 2001 oceans movie that hell give it to somebody that never had a chance you know give it to Saul and Turk and Virgil right I mean let's give it to characters that were underutilized Livingston maybe he's the only one that comes back you make it a spinoff you
2: don't make it a sequel I could go either way, though. I could see enough time has passed since Ocean's 13. It seems like five years is the amount of time for a reboot. We're well past that with Ocean's 13. I could see if you got the right cast back, and I don't know who that is off the top of my head. I imagine Robert Downey Jr. could play a good Ocean, though, that you'd be able to pull this off as a reboot, but then take the franchise into a different direction of spinoffs.
3: Yeah, I don't know if I even want to reboot. It depends on how you're going to sell it to me. I've seen Ocean's Eleven twice now. And yeah, what more can you do? Take it out of Vegas. I I don't know if I want to keep seeing this group or another Ocean's group robbing Vegas over and over and over. Give me something new.
2: You know what, though? I just thought about it. How about having them all go to Dubai? I mean, that would be cool. That's the new Vegas. Be away. You don't want to see them back in Vegas. Take them over there. That, it didn't work for Sex in the City, too, but it might work for Ocean's Crew. <laughs> I like did they go to Dubai in Sex in the
1: City? <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> wow. I, I missed that one, but I like it. I like that concept. I don't know where to tell them to go, but I can say this. We can tell our listeners where we're going to go for the first part of 2015. Now that we're here, we've got a a whole bunch of franchises to jump into starting with what else stephen
2: king next week 80s cronenberg my favorite era of cronenberg films so king's gonna hate it i i take it because we got a real director actually i think this is one of the ones he gave a pass to
1: i know it was the film that made me fall in love with christopher walken along with brainstorm and i don't know that i've ever seen it start to finish but i can't wait to next
2: week but then after that I know everybody's going to think, Stuart, this was yours, but I'm championing this myself. Anyone who followed my 40-year-old critic series knows I'm a fan of the Before series, Richard Linkletter's massive trilogy. Me too, and you're right.
1: I I think that as badly as I wanted to do this, you wanted to do it more. It will finally give you an opportunity to say something nice about the French. (laughs) Julie Delpy and Ethan (laughs) Hawke in a romance that unfolds in surprising ways. Each time, we never knew if they would see each other again. We're going to see it three times in the weeks to come, leading up to Valentine's Day, before sunrise, before sunset, and before midnight. And because we're doing Linkletter, why not do Boyhood as well? It's bound to be nominated for Oscars. It's one of my favorite films of 2014. And yeah, it does a similar trick to before it. We see a story... Fold over time.
2: I will never forgive Leprechaun Origins for being the reason I couldn't see Boyhood in theaters, but I'm looking forward to seeing it now. <laughs> and then we're doing something that was really your idea, Arnie. <laughs> Not my idea so much as the listener's idea, but all right, I was kind of the internal champion of it. I, when I saw Fast Five, I knew that this was a retrospective we had to do. The same reason I championed Saw. When a movie has a very convoluted chronology, that's the kind of meaty... Fair, we like to chew into and really dissect. You like to chew into.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I don't know that I need to chew into it. I I have not. I will be the complete newbie on this. I don't even know that I've seen ads for some of these movies. But uh, I will learn the difference between Fast and the Furious and the Fast and the Furious. I know that there's two movies with very similar titles and something. Too fast, too furious. Too Tokyo. Fa- yeah, Tokyo Drift. I want to see that one. I don't know why.
3: I want to see the one with the. T- tank all i know is i was watching the super bowl and there was a fast and furious film with a tank in it and i'm like damn
2: i believe that was six okay let's skip to six that's what i'm excited to see (laughs) well you gotta go through it and i look forward to shepherding you through all those red arrows (laughs) i mean even i'm gonna give a few i gotta say it went through some dark days but it came out on top and we'll see i mean furious seven is marred by the tragic death of Paul Walker. So it's a wild card of an end, right? We do not know. It could be very good. James Wan is directing it. It also could just be a schmaltzy mess hindered by the lack of a leading actor. So
1: I'm holding on to the fact that James Wan is a big fan of 70s cinema and he said he wants to make The French Connection for New Hollywood. I think I love The French Connection. If he can make a, a an action movie like that, I'm going to like it. If it's just a bunch of hoochie mamas and flipping car porn,
2: (laughs) then I'm going to like it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what I'll make of it, but I will watch all seven go all the way
2: into April. I'm just looking forward to being able to talk about Ludacris' acting ability with you guys. I mean, there's a little bit of a degree of fun of just that, too. We're going to go from Richard Linkletter's Oscar nominated film to discussing this acting range of rappers and Vin Diesel.
1: I can't wait. And we won't be done with car talk. Call me clack. We're going to be doing some movies I know you love, Jacob. Oh,
3: Mad Max trilogy, and then this new, I don't know if it's a reboot, a sequel, prequel, who knows. But yeah, Mad Max is one of my favorites going back to my childhood.
1: I'm a newbie. I can't wait to see it. I've always wanted to. I just, I never have. So this will give me a
2: great reason to be the newbie on the show. Hey, we don't need another hero. (laughs) I'm a nice middle of the roader on this series, but I haven't watched the original since 1991 and i haven't seen the sequels in well over a decade either looking forward to the reboot so i'm excited for that series and of course that is going to be interrupted a little bit by avengers age of ultron May 5th. What's that? I I haven't heard anything.
1: Really? I have never heard of this. Yeah. What what is this Avengers you speak of? You know, Marvel and I have a checkered past, but I think this one could be really good. I've been encouraged by some of the cast they've added. I I like what Spader's doing in the robot outfit, if that's indeed a robot outfit. And uh, yeah, I'm ready for it. We've had a little bit of break and we haven't done so much comic book. So yeah, I think I'll be ready for Age of Ultron, whatever the hell that is, when we get to it
2: in the first part of May. So with that, it's time for a little less conversation, a little more action.
1: I have complied with your every request. Would
0: you agree? I would. Good, because now I have one of my own. Run and hide, asshole. Run and hide. If you should be picked up next week by a $100,000 sports car in Newport Beach, I am
3: gonna be supremely disappointed because I want my people to find you. And when they do, rest assured, we're not gonna hand you over to the police, so... My advice to you again is this, run and hide.
0: That is all that I ask. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. This is the best part of my day. Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another in-depth movie review. It's fun time, Jimmy boy. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archive, you can find reviews of other films, such as all the James Bond films, The Avengers, RoboCop, Rambo, Die Hard, Saw, and hundreds more. But did you guys get a group rate or something? While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this movie review with other listeners.
3: They told me to come see you. Oh, did they? <laughs> well, I'm sure glad they did. They, did. That's what they told me.
0: You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. I almost, I almost wasn't going to come over and say anything. Then I'd still be sleeping. And please remember, your support is what keeps Now Playing operating. Our fall 2014 pledge drive is coming to a close. Support independent podcasting and get exclusive, bonus, Lord of the Rings or Leprechaun movie reviews. Even when we aren't running a pledge drive, you can donate using the PayPal button at our website all year round. Find the PayPal button as well as all the details at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I'd have to pay you by check. What?
3: Let's, or we could just stick to cash. Yeah, let's.
1: Yeah, let's just stick to cash.
0: Now playing is edited by Arnie. That guy's a machine. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Been practicing this speech a little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I was it's good. I liked it. Now playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Studios. The Ocean's films are the property of their copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This town, you luck to change just that quickly. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I love technology, because to look at you, I'd swear you were being evasive, but the machine says you're clean. <sighs> I'm
1: just a little nervous.
0: Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.
2: Turn that off, will you? I'll turn it off when I'm
0: ready
2: to turn it's it off. It's off! It's off, it's off. Don Cheadle as ba- Basher Tar. I'm always going to want to call him Bashir. Like the Star <laughs> Trek Deep Space Nine Doctor. Kevin Burke. Kevin Barkin. Kevin Barkin. Why not Abu Dhabi? I mean, that's the new Vegas, right? Make it international. Ocean's 11. Ocean takes 11 people over there. Dubai? Oh, yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> Abu Dhabi?
1: Oh, my God. That certainly would be a different, Less glamour than that. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. I don't have nothing else to add to that. Maybe Abu Ghraib. Yeah,
2: I think I got those two confused. Yeah. I want to see.
3: I want to see it in Reno. I want to see them. I, I want to see them try to get away with ten thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, they That's rip, all out, you're gonna rip get. off a Chuck E. Cheese. Like how low can they go? Like seriously,
2: go... in Reno, you could just rob it from all the people on oxygen tanks and scooters. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ, that place sucks.
1: <laughs> Fuck Reno. So you keep telling me. I, I've never been.
2: Don't go to Reno. Oh,
3: you got to go once.
2: Oh, We went for two days and left after one. I don't know how,
3: I don't, yeah, I don't know how you spent two days there,
2: but. We didn't. <laughs> My travel agent's like, we love Reno, we love Reno. I came back, I'm like, what the fuck do you love about Reno? Lake Tahoe. Then tell me, go to Lake Tahoe, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, Tahoe's really nice, <laughs> yeah. not a Reno, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, well, we fly into Reno. That's not the point. That's not where you told me to go. Yeah. <laughs>